0: Hebrews chapter 3, as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Hebrews 3 tonight, we'll read it and then we'll get a running start from chapter 2. Hebrews 3, 1, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in his house. For this one who has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he has built the house, has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of these things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of the hope Firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial and in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Beware, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort each other daily while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have been partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who, having heard rebelled indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who had sinned? And those corpses who fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they will not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? And so we see that we could not enter in because of unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this chapter. We thank you, Lord, for the writer of this book. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that gives us understanding and wisdom. And so, Lord, that you would just bless those who can't be with us. Father, a healing touch upon their bodies. Lord, thank you that we bring this message over the Internet. We thank you for the workers, Lord, who are up at Arrowwood right now. And that you just bless them too, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have been going through, by the way, let's back up one chapter. As we're working our way through this book. To the Hebrews, remember it is a book written to, that that was not a trick question, the Hebrews. These are believers who were Hebrews, they were Jews. Everybody got that? That was not tough and it's only seven. (laughs) These are a group of people who start to slide back into tradition into the ways in which they came out of. And as we see through this chapter, as we see through most of these chapter, the writer is giving us a warning. Last week, bless you. Not last week blessed you, but bless you last week. Wait a minute. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. This started out the warnings of the writer. Therefore, we must give the most more earnest heed to the things we heard, lest we drift away. And the writer was telling us that as believers, we need to be careful that we are anchored to Jesus and not anchored to religion or tradition. Amen? Because if we then are drifting like we know here in Myrtle Beach, it's very easy to drift. It doesn't take any brains. Isn't that wonderful to know? You can just drift. And Paul, or the writer, tells us, listen, it's important that we have our anchor in Jesus. And again, the theme of this book is that Jesus is better than the traditions of men, than all of these things that the the Jewish people held on to as tradition. And the last two weeks we saw that Jesus is better than the angels. But he left off last week with this. Look at verse 17. Therefore, in all things he had been made like his brethren, that's us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in pertaining to God to make payment for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, and he is able to aid those who are tempted. What a By the way, that was a wonderful way to end last week. And so he started to mention this high priest. Now, that takes us into chapter 3. Where do you think he's going to take us with that idea of the high priest? If angels were important to the Jewish people, anybody know who else was like, like top three to the Jewish people? Listen, you got Abraham, you got Mo, and you got David. And now he's going to bring that Jesus is better than Moses. Now listen, that is a huge statement that the writer is saying. By the way, that is why I think that it is Paul and that's why his name is left out of the letter because if this is going in and amongst the Jewish community, if they read Paul on the letter, they are going to burn it. So better to leave your name out of it. And I just wanted to keep bringing that up. Here is a man who loved his brethren. And he wanted to do everything for the Jewish people. And especially those he saw starting to creep back into tradition. Well, tonight, therefore, verse 1, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Notice with me, in confessing him, that's Jesus, as an apostle, it means that he represented God. And an apostle is one that is sent out. And as we're going to see, this mention of the son and the importance of the son versus Moses as a servant. And he is going to contrast, again, The greater to the lesser, the lesser tonight being Moses. And then this journey through the wilderness. Now, just briefly as, let's just bring up Moses for a minute. You got to love this guy. He, by the way, we don't even know his Hebrew name. Does any, has that dawned on anybody? Where did he get his name from? Pharaoh's daughter. We don't even know his Hebrew name. So the person whom the Jews are elevating, they don't even know his Hebrew name. Isn't that funny? They're using a pagan name, Moses, drawn out of. And so here is a guy who is drawn out of into a privileged life. He was educated. He was, had the finest clothes, the finest food. He had everything until he was around 40 years old. And then he saw the suffering of his brother and somehow he learned that he too was a Hebrew. And the Bible really doesn't tell us how he knew that or how that was come to him. Now, if you learn from Charlton Heston, And so somehow he comes into this knowledge, then he goes away for 40 years into the wilderness, and he is content to be a shepherd. He didn't want anything to do with the Egyptian lifestyle. He had put that away, and God calls him at 80 years old. How many of you are are pretty close to 80 years old? Can you imagine God calling you to a a new career? Listen, uh, Paul, I've got an idea for you. 80 years old, I want you to do something for the next 40 years. And I want you to take 2 to 3 million people around a wilderness. Listen, it's hard enough getting food for the men's retreat. (laughs) Or a potluck. Can you imagine the logistics of 2 to 3 million people, let alone the water (laughs) or the latrine situation? This is, what, this is what Moses dealt with. He is a great man. He was a humble man. God used him mightily, and as we'll see here, but he wasn't to be elevated where they had elevated him to. Why? Because here in verse 5, and we're going to get to it, the Holy Spirit tells us through the writer that he is a servant. And a servant was always lesser than the son and the heir of the home. Everybody got that? Who's confused yet? Well, let's dive into this high priest. And this theme of the high priest will continue through this book of Hebrews. Note with me, therefore, holy brethren, that's set apart. That doesn't mean that you're holy in the idea that "Ah, holy, right? It means set apart. You and I are set apart for the purposes of God and set apart from this world. And so he says, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, again, this is Jesus, and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. That means that Jesus was faithful to the Father, Notice, as Moses was also faithful in all of his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, that is shocking to a Jew who would hear that this carpenter from Galilee is greater than Moses. (laughs) They just can't compute that in their head. But the writer tells us that he had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. In as as he who built the house has more honor than the house. I mean, maybe some of you have had this happen where you've had a, a builder build the house, but you don't run up and hug the, hug the house, do you? And if you do, you're a weirdo. No, it's like the surgeon who has the scalpel. The scalpel is an instrument to cut and to remove. You think the surgeon just as you think the builder who builds the house. Because the builder is God and that's what is most important. For every house is built by somebody. But he who built all things as we saw in the beginning of Hebrews 1 is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house. Encircle this word. As a servant, maybe you when you look at uh, Moses in the Bible, you don't think of him as a servant, do you? And yet the Bible says that, <laughs> well, let me just say, Moses said of himself that he was meek, that he was a humble man. You, you know you're humble when you say in your own writing that you're a humble man, right? Notice that he was a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. And as God is using Moses to bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt, a type and picture of the world, going through the Red Sea of baptism, and then at the mountain getting the law and getting the the word of God, getting the testimony, having the Ark of the Covenant, building the tabernacle in the wilderness. All of this is a type, notice that he says, of the testimony of these things which were spoken afterward. Jesus said, the volume of the book speaks of me. But Christ as a son over his own house. So there's a difference between the servant, Moses, who is not over his own house. God built the house. God did the work. But now we see Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, listen, that's a little hint for you about the life of a believer. Did everybody see that? It's real easy to go out. What's, What's the key to this life? It's right here. Let me have some water. You can look at it again. The hope firm to the end. It's not just trying to get through, it's the hope of what we have and who we have as the one that we will see. The hope to the end that this life is not as th- what the world says, right? Remember, for those who are unsaved, this is as good as it gets. But for the believer, this is bad, as bad as it gets. Didn't it blow your mind? Wait till we see what's coming up next. I can't wait to see some of you riding on a white horse. Never having taken one lesson. These heavenly equine, it's going to be amazing. And this new name that will be given to you. We have no concept of what's coming, but it's glorious. And the point here is making it to the end. Notice, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope to the end. Verse 7. And now he takes us, obviously, because he's been talking about Moses, he takes us now back to the wilderness. And as Moses is dealing... With the children of Israel. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice. Again, at this point, the writer interjects the second warning of the epistle. And the warning is, today if you will hear his voice. Psalm 95, the Jews knew this very well. Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Let me read them to you. For He is our God, and we are the people of His... Come on, you should know this. Pasture. And the sheep of His hand. And today, if you will hear His voice... Remember, we have a shepherd, and we are the sheep. And the sheep always hear the voice of the shepherd. Verse 8 in Psalm 95 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion or in the day of the trial of the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they saw my work, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. And so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. So Psalm ninety-five is the section of scripture that the writer refers to, telling us what happened in the wilderness. But the 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 warning is today: if you will hear His voice, as a sheep, how can you? How easy is it for you not to hear the voice of the shepherd? What, what did we learn last week about drifting? How easy is it to drift? How easy is it for us to wander? The song that we sing, the great hymn, Prone to Wonder. Um, if you have never read Tom uh, Keller, it's not Tom, it's Tim, Philip Keller. I'll get it. There's a lot of Kellers out there. Philip Keller's book, The Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. We have plenty of them in stock. Every time I mention a book, the bookstore people hate that because we we never have any stock. But we have plenty in stock today. Maybe. So, but a sheep, and again, not to burst your bubble, but sheep are really dumb. Thank you. Anybody else? If we are not close to the shepherd, we will walk away. We will squirrel, right? You know, well, something will get our attention. There'll be a tree or a bird. We'll go over a hill. We'll think the grass is better over there. And pretty soon, I can't even see the other sheep, nor can I hear the shepherd's voice. And remember, I did that. He didn't do that. So today, if you will hear his voice. Now, listen, you're at church. Kudos for you. You're hearing the voice of God. But a lot of people who are listening on the radio and who will listen to this broadcast years down the road today. Are you far away from Jesus? Has it been a long time since you've heard him? Then you need to get back. As we talked about, get back to church. And we'll see this in a minute as well. So today, if you will hear his voice, then do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now listen, just briefly, Israel's history in the wilderness had a, I mean, the record of their complaint is a mile long. uh, Paul in Corinthians mentions three of their issues in the wilderness. In in, 1 Corinthians 10. It's a long list of rebellion. It's It's a complaint list of lust and idolatry of unbelief. And again, yes, of rebellion. At Rephidim, for instance, they complained because there was a lack of water and they doubted God's presence in their midst. Now, just as a refresher, if you haven't remembered your Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston and Exodus and Leviticus, three days it took them to complain. How long does it take your kids to complain when you're on a long trip? About three minutes. Thank you over here. That was my guess too. About three minutes. Where's the McDonald's? Where's the this? Are we there yet? Oh, we're going to be there yet. We're going to crash off into the, you know, Grand Canyon, then we're all going to be there. Oh, I was the only one thinking of that when I was driving around. <laughs> Three days. They just saw God do these plagues and miracles. They just received back wages for 400 years. Huge amount of livestock, huge amount of gold and silver. They're carrying in the w- <laughs> In the wilderness, three days. And they complain that there's no water. Now, I, I, I love teaching this because do you really think that God brought them out from Egypt to kill them in the wilderness? But that's what they said. Dathan and Abiram, the, the rabble-rousers in the group, the mixed multitude said, Moses only brought us out here to kill us. Yep, that was the plan all along. You see, they took their eyes off of the Deliverer, which was God, who passed over. And if God can do that miracle, could He not just bring water to them? Or later on, food and manna and quail? At the wilderness of Paran, when the unbelieving spies returned with an evil report of discouragement and doubt, They tested God. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb, believed in God. And they said, our God can do wonderful things because we just came out of Egypt. And if that God can do all of that, those guys in the promised land are like grasshoppers. They're nothing. And yet, what did the ten do? They turned the hearts of the people. Of unbelief, and that's the point that he is going to make in this chapter. The people decided that they should go back to Egypt to a land of slavery. It was too tough for them, so they decided to go back to the world. This life of of a believer, it's too tough. They're canceling me left and right. I just got fired from my job because I had a Bible on my desk. That's it. I'm going back to the world. The Jews thought the same thing. This is too tough. We didn't sign up for this. We didn't sign up for giants in the land. But they had forgotten what God did for them. One week they have forgotten. When we get into our problems and we see the giants, rather than who they are, which are grasshoppers, we forget what God has already done in our life. If you have forgotten, maybe in your Bible, you need to write in there. So it's always there. This is what God has done for me in my life. This is what he's delivered me from. Notice that he says, do not harden your hearts. If those who followed Moses were responsible to surrender, trust, and persevere in following God's leader, how much are we responsible for following us? Our leader, Jesus. And Moses was just a human. We're talking about the creator God that we are following. Do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, in the day of trial, and in the wilderness. Where your fathers tested me. (laughs) Not only tested me, but tried me and saw my works for 40 years. After the events of Paran, God said that they would all die in the wilderness, those who were 20 and above. And so for 40 years, God allowed them to weed out that generation. Think about that, for 40 years, and yet God provided for them every single day, except for Saturday. They had a double portion of manna on Friday. Every day, God provided Hundreds of tons of food from heaven. Meat, water. Unbelievable what God did. And yet they still complained for the 40 years. I, I fault Moses and not wanting to blow them up every other day. He's an amazing man in my eyes. I even think by the end of the time when he gets really mad and strikes the rock twice, you ever think, you go, Mo? Now, God wasn't angry with the people and Moses misrepresented God to the people and that's why Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. But we can understand that frustration. (laughs) Can we just get a new group, Lord? No, we're going to work with this group because they're going to see the 20-year-olds and below are going to see what I did for them for 40 years. And they're going to tell their kids, and their kids, what Joshua, their great leader, did, and Caleb did as they came into the land and conquered the land. Had homes already built, vineyards already planted, orchards, and livestock. Therefore, (laughs) anybody know the response of God after somebody tests you, tries you? Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart, And they have not known my ways. Isn't it sad that some people would rather be back in Egypt than to be in the presence of God providing for them? (laughs) That's what this generation showed the world. That no matter what, there is a group of people that would rather be slaves. I, I know I've mentioned this before, but mankind doesn't feel freedom like we think in the United States of America. Man is not always free. He has to be taught that there is freedom. Man is is by nature subservient to somebody else. So he has to be taught that. We live in America, we're like freedom, but the rest of the world doesn't think that way. It hasn't been in their mind. I'm reading a book, let me rephrase that. Somebody is reading a book to me uh, on, on my media player, and this guy is an Indian later on we'll carry it in the bookstore but his whole his whole thing is this the bible that changed the world and specifically changed america and how the bible changed not only america but that changed the world and he was talking about his own country india that they don't think and never were raised for 3 to 4000 years about freedom it wasn't until the bible came to india they started to have these thoughts of freedom, of equality. That was not something taught by their religion or Islam or the Eastern religions. It was only the Bible. The Bible really has set this world free. And it is the Bible that was the basis of our own nation to set men and women free. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they will. By the way, that was a free history lesson. Tonight's uh, message is brought to you by the History Channel. And in verse 11, he says, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, listen, that means and this we're going to see this phrase rest a lot in the next two chapters. But this rest has the idea. So when they come into the promised land, it is rest that God has already done the work, and so I come into his rest. The promised land for you and I is going to be heaven. Let's just have that as a reminder. Uh, We work while it's day, Jesus says. So while we're here, we work in the kingdom of God. Paul tells us if we don't work, we don't eat, So. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, here it is, verse 12. Underlying that, highlight that. Beware. Now, why does he say that? Because he just gave us a history lesson. And this is the problem with the world right now. The world doesn't know its own history. And so, therefore, it's doomed to repeat it. We are on a fast track. We are so going down the same path that other nations have gone before us. It's not even funny. They don't even try to hide how fast we are going down this path. But he tells us to beware. Beware of what? Those who have come before us. Beware of what they went through. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. What what kept them out of the promised land? What kept them out of, uh, by the way, verse 18... So, or, I'm sorry, 19. So we see that they could not enter the rest because of unbelief. What will keep you out? Unbelief. And so he says, do not harden your heart in departing from the living God. Unbelief, walking away from, apost- being apostate, walking away from. But rather than uh, harden your heart, having an evil heart rather than having unbelief, this is what we need to do. But exhort one another how much? Every day, daily, while it's called today. Did you see that again? Today. There's this phrase, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, while it is day, we work because the night is coming when we won't work. There is a finite amount of time for us human beings on planet Earth. So, While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So how seriously do we take our responsibility to exhort one another daily? How seriously do we take that? And not only uh, exhorting one another, but then being exhorted. The one exhorting and the one being exhorted. We judge and we criticize rather well, don't we? How, how easy is it for you to criticize somebody else? Drop of a hat. Easy. Oh, you did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. Drop of a hat. Do you know it's harder to exhort somebody else? Tell them, well done. What is the old adage? It's harder to frown than it is to smile so too, where our sinful nature is to condemn and to put down rather than to lift up. But they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another, not by our criticism of one another. Do you see that group? They're really good at criticism. They must be Christians. That's not what the Bible says, does it? They really love one another. They do things for one another. They must be Christians. And I don't want to get, go off on this point. But that's what sets us apart from everything else on planet Earth. Every other religion. They don't do what we do. Do you know that the hospital system on planet Earth was to basically come from Christians? It doesn't come from anybody else. In India, you walk over somebody that is dying. In this book, and I don't mean to keep mentioning this book because I haven't told you the title because I don't want you to get off right now. But they were talking about his this husband and wife. They're in the interior of India, and they're ministering to the to the very poor and wretched, and the system of castes and all of this and karma and all that junk. And he said, We came to this house and we saw this family, and there were three kids, but there was this young child, eight months old, like in a state of starvation. And they didn't understand. And they asked the mother, why, why are you not taking? And she said, well, she doesn't eat. She doesn't, she throws up. You know, why don't you take her to the hospital? Well, we don't have time to do that. We have these other kids and this woman is, and her husband are like, we can't comprehend that you don't want to take care of this child. We will pay for this child to go to the hospital. They said, no. We can't do that. We can't owe you. We can't be in debt to you. And ultimately, this child goes to the hospital several times, gets feeding tubes, gets nourished up, comes back to the home, goes back into that state of starvation. Because they look at that child not as a gift from God, but a burden. That's Hinduism. That's Islam. That's Confucius, that's Eastern mystical thinking. The Bible is completely different. You are made in the image of God and you are precious in His sight. Do you see the difference that we have as Christians? If you're out of fellowship altogether, how can you exhort and be exhorted? And I say this to everybody watching, listening. Had a lady today call me, sweet lady. She said, I heard your church is open. Our church is still closed. I said, come. She said, (laughs) she made me laugh. She said, would it be okay if I come? (laughs) No. (laughs) Seriously, she asked me that. I was like, of course. Come and have fellowship." But think about how many people are not being exhorted or exhorting somebody else. And the Bible tells us that we are, as believers, to help one another. If you are out of fellowship altogether, how can you exhort or be exhorted? What will keep you from becoming hardened through the deceitfulness of sin if you stay away from God's people? I realize we're crazy in a dysfunctional family, but it's important to be around each other because I know that you were taught this. At the end of the day, family is family. (laughs) We can't choose our family, can we? We're just giving it. That's why marriage counseling is very important. Do you know what you're marrying into? Sometimes we don't know that. Stretch that period out a little bit. Again, this emphasis flies in the face of our societal thinking. I want you to hear this study that was done. A study found that more than 78% of the general public and 70% of church-going people believed you could be a good Christian without a, without attending church. Did you hear that? 78 of people, 78 of people, 78% of people thought that you could be a good Christian, yet not go to church. Seventy percent of church-going people said you could still be a good Christian and not go to church, and yet violate God's Word by not coming to church. So, are we exhorting one another, verse 13, daily? That is part of our role. For we we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. To the end. There is an end coming. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God had a beginning and he had an end. The end of this corrupt world is going to end. End. It will not go on forever. It will be destroyed, and it will be rebuilt. And we will be perfect. It's great, isn't it? It can't come any sooner. Verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart in the day of rebellion. He repeats the phrase. For who having heard rebelled. indeed was it not those who came out of Egypt led by Moses the writer says, listen the ones who rebelled are the ones who saw God do everything. anybody see uh, hail turn into fire lately right or the frogs or the the Nile turning to blood or you just add all of the ten plagues ha- have we seen any of that? they did. And God says that's why they were judged harshly because they saw what God did. So too the religious leaders in the day of Jesus. Almost done. Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And he's going to tell us what sin is here in a minute. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But those who did not obey. So there is a sin of disobedience. Again, they would not enter his rest. 11 times in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talks about entering into his rest. We will dive into this topic, Lord willing, next week in depth because it's in chapter 4. But here, the key to entering into his rest is revealed, and it is simply believing in what God did, not only upon the cross, but what he is going to do soon. And when we dive into Revelation, we're going to see that he is coming again. And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter into it because of unbelief. They were not allowed to go into the promised land because they did not trust in God. Well, that's not fair. They saw everything. They saw Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. They saw God provide a pillar of fire (laughs) and a cloud by day. They saw God provide tons of food every day, water out of a rock, quail (laughs) by the truckload. And God said, they can't enter in. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 5. No, I went too far. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, Let us us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Speaking of unbelief. And so this warning hits hard now to the religious people who are flirting with going back. Are you not trusting who Jesus is? The writer says, He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's going to continue build on this theme that Jesus is better. Let us not fall short like the Hebrews did coming out of the promise or coming out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, read ahead. Chapter 4 is an amazing chapter. One of the, I know, favorite chapters of mine. They're all my favorite, as my wife will tell you. But chapter 4 is an amazing chapter, talking about not only the rest in Jesus, but our high priest that can sympathize in all of our weakness. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again, for our night, for your word, for your rest. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be partakers of the kingdom of God, to exhort one another daily while it is today. I pray for those, Lord, again, not in fellowship, that you would give them the strength and the boldness to push through the fear, the nonsense of man, and obey your word. Lord, let them not have hardness of heart but let them be strengthened by your word. Thank you again, Lord, for the life of Moses, a powerful witness and a servant of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this church through the lives of your people and that we, Lord, again, would be exhorting one another daily, loving on one another. Through the trials, that we are going through. Thank you, Lord, again. We ask this because we love you and we thank you for your grace upon the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.